0: You are listening to the Working Dog Collective podcast. I'm your host Holly of Holly Cook Photography based in Seattle, Washington. This is a listener supported podcast and details about how you can support this podcast for as little as five dollars a month are provided in the show notes. Thank you for joining me on this journey of exploration into the world of working dogs. Let's get to work. In today's episode, I chat with Heath Smith, lead instructor for rogue detection teams based in Rice, Washington. Rogue detection teams take the canine scamps of the world and turn them into superhero scent detection dogs to help in conservation efforts. You know, those dogs that are just deemed too wild to live in a home. From finding scat, to viruses, to invasive plant species, these amazing dogs use their noses to help biologists study the environment. Unfortunately, after this podcast was recorded, I found out that Scooby, who we talk about in this episode, had passed away after a courageous battle with cancer. He was a founding dog of rogue detection teams and a superstar sniffer. He was loved by many, but it was especially bonded to his bounder, Jennifer. I dedicate this podcast to Scooby and to Jennifer. Nothing hurts your heart more than the loss of a beloved dog companion. Hi, Heath. How are you today? I'm doing
1: great, Holly. Good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, totally my pleasure. I'm so excited about this podcast. First of all, I want to know more about Cauldron, because I saw a post on Instagram last night that you guys got a new dog.
1: <laughs> we totally did. Uh, it's so exciting. It's it's the first dog we've adopted and as a rogue, as rogues. And uh, it's the first we've adopted in, wow, a number of years. Uh, you know, we kind of, we, we have these, turn the dogs, they, 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 they don't live long enough as you know but um it's yeah. amazing how how long they, they'll stay in the field um and so we're it's kind of bittersweet but we're having some turnover as uh, as dogs get older and retire mm-hmm. and um yeah so we we've adopted cauldron we're i think we've we, we thought cauldron was a little tough to say uh so we've we've actually he looks like a uh, a flying fox one of the fruit bats yeah and uh so we've named him taro which is, is oh. uh, kind of like we, we know tarot from like pterodactyl, but it's also part of the uh, genus for. Uh, so, yeah, he's been adopted and, and renamed tarot. Nice. Um, and he's a little bit of a terror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we were lucky. We're, we're, we're actually down in Palm Springs in Southern California right now. And there's an amazing group down here called the Search Dog Foundation. They, they had tarot taro, or cauldron. Uh, wasn't quite exactly what they needed to do for search and rescue and and we contacted them and and now he's going to be a conservation dog so it's super
0: congratulations thank you so amazing
1: he's adorable
0: since we're talking about um the dogs that you have um on your team can you tell us a little bit about what rogue dogs is and what it is that you do
1: yeah so i'm i'm one member of a, of a team called rogue, de, rogue Detection Teams. And we primarily do conservation work. And generally, that's non-invasive work where we're looking for scat from rare endangered species. And we use the dogs to help us find the scat. Um, we also do rare and invasive plants and uh, nests and eggs and, and a whole bunch of other things, but uh, that, that's kind of the rough and dirty of it. I don't want to talk too long about that. And then the dogs that we actually look for are kind of like us, but uh, they're these misfits, and they're the dogs that folks have tried to adopt and have as pets. And and these guys, um, well, guys and gals, they uh, they end up maybe tearing your your curtains off the wall because they they have so much energy, or they eat through your couch, or um, sometimes even they'll be they they happen to turn. A little bit aggressive, and and not because they're actually aggressive. It's it's more because they're they're just kind of misunderstood, and they don't have the outlets that they need to, to really be, um, I mean, fantastic. Right. And so these are the guys we look for. And um, sometimes they're scheduled to be euthanized, and because of their of their behaviors, and um, as long as they want to play fetch, uh, they work out perfect for us. That's that's really the single. The single thing we look for is is that drive to play fetch.
0: Got it. So you're looking for basically high drive, high energy, high ball drive dogs who don't do so well when they're confined in a home and they need a place or a way to channel that energy and maybe do some good work um, while they're doing it.
1: The the fantastic thing about our job is is uh, you know we're we're finding these dogs that are kind of out of chances so. Helping give them a purpose and a job, but also at the same time, us and the dogs are working to help, you know, protect or conserve or, or just learn more about other species out there, mammals and plants and all sorts of stuff in between. But, um, yeah, it's it's so much. It's amazing.
0: So, what inspired you to be to start this work with a dog?
1: I, that's a that's a great question. I I didn't have dogs growing up. I yeah, I've never had a dog, and. Um, I was kind of this, uh, you know, folks that that are familiar with biology work will know this because it's very common for us, but I was this kind of roaming biologist tech that would uh, go from one job to another, these seasonal jobs and and traveling around. It wasn't really a lifestyle for it, to have a dog anyway, um, okay. but one of these jobs ended up, um, I applied to be an orienteer and didn't, I didn't even really honestly pay attention. The dogs were part of it. I wasn't I didn't want a dog and ha- I wasn't applying to work with dogs but uh showed up I got the job's here showed up and there was this this one little dog that um was kind of he didn't have anyone to take care of him like on the days off or during the evening and the uh, the person that he was matched up with had a puppy at home so he didn't want to take um this dog whose name was Gator didn't want to take him home and I so I offered I said you know I'll I'll take care of him that's fine you know and so his handler would work him during the day, and then I would take care of, him of it at, at night and on the the weekends or whatever. And, and um, totally, totally unexpected, but uh, my life took a, a, a drastic turn right there, and and uh, never I never strayed from that path after that. Uh, Gator Gator meant the world to me, and uh, yeah, we were we were inseparable.
0: So you yourself were living a rogue lifestyle traveling (laughs) from place to place and you met you met Gator and decided to settle down and work with dogs
1: I did and it was it was I mean this was 20 years ago and so at that time the only dog work was generally uh like June July maybe some of August so you know two to three months out of the year Gator and I would have a job otherwise I I had to figure out what I could do And, and all of a sudden all those jobs that I had bounced around from, I could no longer do because they, they wouldn't let you have a dog. And um, I applied to plenty of jobs that, I mean, would have been amazing, like jobs I dreamed of. And I was like, I'm, I can't do that. You bring Gator. Gator? And I said, no, I don't, I won't go. So I ended up working at Lowe's for the off season, which was, was a huge change, but there was, there was no way I would, I would ever leave Gator after that.
0: How did you and Gator get into the work that you're doing?
1: After, after that first season, um, after the work was over, I adopted Gator and he stayed with me. And the next year I, I came back and worked on the project again as a handler with Gator. And then um, that project ended and, and we were, at that time we were trying to build a bigger program and we are waiting on grants and stuff. And, you know, it was the political climate then wasn't so great for conservation work. And, uh, but eventually we got a grant, which led to another study and then while we were doing that study we got some more funding for another study another study and and that was how conservation canines kind of developed and then before we knew it you know we had we had three teams and wow. we were employed throughout the year or most of the year and then we kind of just built slowly from there
0: So if it hadn't been for Peter yeah. things might not have gone the way that they did
1: For me at least Yes <laughs> and I I I can tell you I've never felt as comfortable or as 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 if I'm in the right place, as I do when I'm out with the dogs. Amen. Um, so I, it was very lucky for me.
0: How long have you been doing this work? Twenty years. Twenty. Twenty just, years.
1: Yeah, you know, it's just—it's funny how fast time goes by.
0: <laughs> so tell me about the bond that you guys—you guys—build with your dogs, because the work that you do is different than any other working dog that that I'm aware of, um, because you have to go out on on assignments that keep you away for months at a time where it's just you, the Bounders, um, and the dogs, which you call Sparks. Tell me about the bond that you guys form.
1: It's so hard to describe it, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, when I started, uh, I was lucky enough to have um, some amazing uh, mentors in the narcotics and bomb bomb detection world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Barbara Davenport and Steve Wigley. They were, they were amazing, and I learned so much. During that time, but as a, as a, as a kind of trainer now or whatever, I don't, I don't like that term um, yeah. as an instructor. Now um, I realize, you know, there's only so much someone can, can teach you, you, you really have to, to kind of find yourself in this and, and the real teachers end up being the dogs. Um, yep. They're the ones that, I mean, I, 20, 20 years now, and I'm still, uh, I'm still learning things from. From Pips, who I work with most of the time now, but the the bond is, you uh, know, it, it almost transcends words in a in a in a sense. But for our kind of work, we we really want the dogs to be problem solvers. Um, we want them to have an independence, and you know, this isn't the type of dog for for the work we do. You you don't want to necessarily teach them to heel. Not that we don't work yeah. with with heel and and downs and sits and all that, but we need, we need these dogs to be comfortable ranging out from us. You really want them to learn to problem solve. So I'll just do, I'm just going to jump into a couple of quick stories because um, I think they, they show this really well. One of them is with Chester. And uh, Chester is, he's like this teddy bear dog. He's like a golden retriever lab mix of some sort. And he was actually labeled as a dangerous dog when we adopted him. And, and uh, we brought him back and, and you know, we were, we were so careful, like introducing him to dogs or people because, you know, he's a dangerous dog. And, and obviously, you've met Chester.
0: Yes, that's <laughs> the, perfe- is... the perplexed look on my face, like, what? Yeah, i know. him.
1: <laughs> we, we actually take him to conferences now, and he's a bit of a therapy dog for folks that are, are getting ready to give talks and stuff because he, he just loves to be petted. And the first time we actually took him to a, a conference, I actually, I got so nervous because he got so much attention from, from people. I was like, is he going to want to ever work again? <laughs> but of course, he did. Yeah. He um he did, and and he was, um uh, since he was a dangerous dog, he was there was a good chance he would end up euthanized, and uh, I just can't imagine if that. Chester Chester and I were in the Pyrenees working with some some fantastic biologists over there. The Pyrenees are, are really really steep, and uh, Chester kind of took off up this hill, and it was wet and rainy, and I I had I had a bunch of I had like a group of folks out with me, so I. I couldn't keep up with Chester and not lose the folks that I was with. And so I I had to decide and I let Chester run off ahead. And so I'm trying to get the folks to keep up and we're trying to get up this hill. And I see Chester come back and he just comes within view of of me at the top of this mountain basically and he sits. I'm like, oh, okay. So I get up there and I get a little closer. And as I get closer, he stands up and he runs off a little bit and he sits. And I get a little closer, and finally, he leads me to this um, this bear scat from a, a brown bear is what we are looking for there. And he he had basically learned, we didn't teach him this, so our dogs are taught to sit at a sample mm-hmm. when they find it, and we we're generally close enough, we we see that happen. Right. Well, in this case, Chester realized, okay, I can't see Heath, so Heath can't see me, and I'm sitting waiting, but he doesn't know where I am. So he actually came back, came oh. into view and sat. So I could see him and then continued to lead me to the scat that way. Oh. And he did all that, he did all of that on his own. Um, um, I mean, that's I, that's just a, um, it's not, I mean, the dogs are super smart. Yeah. Um, they do all sorts of things. Yeah. Another quick story is um, we have a dog, Hera, in that works with Rita in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in France doing this this grasshopper study. And these grasshoppers are, are super camouflaged and, we wanted to use the dogs to find them, but then they—they they, obviously they hop when when a predator or something comes close. So the dogs would pick up the odor and get close, but then the grasshopper hops away, and the dog showing you, well, that was right here. Uh, trust me, and you know we can't see the grasshopper because it moves. So Hera, Hera, actually learned that. Okay, you're you're perplexed because it's not here anymore. And, yes. you know, but it bounced away or it hopped away. So she would, she would pick up the odor and then she would sit back on her legs and watch to see where the grasshopper was going to jump to. And then she would show us where, it, where it'd gone. I didn't teach her that, um, you know, she, she figured out, okay, for me to, to get my ball and for you to be happy, this is what we need to do. And, and so it was amazing, yeah. uh, it was incredible to watch her problem solve and do that on her own just yeah. so she could, uh, you know, get the ball.
0: That's amazing because um, scat doesn't normally jump away. So yeah, so in the Bounder's mind, you're thinking, well, the, the dog is going to find, you know, the odor that I've that I've asked him to find, and then and then alert on it. But no one would think that the that the odor would you know hop away. So it's amazing that the dog figured that out.
1: Uh, um, Gator and I were actually in Brazil, and um, you know he was he would sit at his cat and he wouldn't leave it for anything. And he sat once, and then he got up and he moved about two feet to the to the right and sat. And I'm walking over, and he gets up and he moves two feet. And I'm telling him, you know, stay, because I don't want him to leave the scat. And I'm yeah. not sure what's going on. Finally, I get up there, and these uh, leaf cutter ants are carrying the scat away, oh. and he's moving, he's moving with it to try and show me. Okay, here it is. No, wait, here it is. <laughs> it was it was I felt I felt really sorry for him, but it was hilarious.
0: Go Gator! Aren't these dogs? Dogs in general are amazing, but the dogs that problem solve, like you give them the room to solve the problem. It's amazing to watch, just to sit back and watch the dogs figure it out. And then they, they surprise you. They do something and you're like, I cannot believe that you just figured that out. It's so amazing.
1: Oh yeah. And that, that's really where that bond comes in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because when, when we're out there, we're a team and, and that's why we have team in our name not. It's, it's just it's completely different than kind of teaching the dog to do a certain thing and then right. they just do it. Right. Um, we're, we're out there and, and we're checking in with the dogs like they're looking at us, we're looking at them you know I may say you know like hey Jack, check this tree over here and he'll run over and we'll check that tree together and he'll be like, you know hey, come check this tree out. I found something over here and I'll go over there and check that tree out and uh, you just have this constant communication really mm-hmm. without words, passing between you uh jake one of the bounders on our team and he and i were talking the other day and he was just on a study in yosemite and he was like you know i've, I've really been just trying to get to where uh ranger and i just don't say anything you know yeah and i i would I, I had i just had to laugh i don't get out in the field as much as as they do anymore but those that, that was something that i had always really just loved was the fact you know you could tilt your head or or mm-hmm. you know Cock, cock your head a certain way, and the dogs just pick up on all it. And yeah. and learning that communication is is, it's just amazing. And seeing how the dogs react to every little thing.
0: It's more about it's not it. It goes beyond a partnership for you, and that's why you came up with the with the term bounders for your handlers or your partner, your the human component of the your partnership, and your dogs are called sparks. So could you explain to us? why you decided to use these particular words
1: so uh i mean handler uh it's it's really hard to break calling ourselves handlers but i i as we were as we were kind of coming up with rogues and stuff i've always searched for a word that i felt described what i what i do rather than handle like i i'm not i'm not i am not i am not handle pips like right. we're a team and, and i i don't really want to teach people to handle dogs I, Want to teach people to communicate with dogs um and and i searched i searched like different language and stuff you know all kinds of spiritual things mm-hmm. and trying to find some word. right i couldn't find anything but as as we were looking for names for a program and we came up with rogues a uh, a synonym for rogue is a bounder and uh, i'd never heard that term before it, it means a, an unsavory man basically and uh i was i was kind of like huh oh, that's a funny That's a funny term or funny name for that. But, you know, it kind of that we we bound from project to project. We bound across the landscape looking for stuff. But uh, honestly, this we're bound to our dogs. Like, yes, our dogs are are everything. We there's nothing we wouldn't do for them. And and so that it just really it just hit like a like somebody slapped me across the head with a two by four. But um, it's like a bounder. And, and the really the part I love about this is just a few months ago. So it's been a couple of years since we we took that term. But a couple of months ago I was I was playing a board game for Lord of the Rings and There was this card in it. It says a bounder's map. And so I was like, well, that's weird. How would they use the term boundary. So I started researching the term and Tolkien actually used the word bounder for folks that would um, basically protect the the shire kind of or, or around that area from the, the outskirts of the the boundary and were kind of like these kind of similar to the rangers in the story but they were called bounders and wow. he had taken that term also because it was a unsavory he was changing the the terminology of it but i just thought that was really cool yeah um because i'm a huge i'm a huge tolkien fan but i had completely forgotten about that maybe my subconscious remembered it. who knows yeah. but
0: that's uh, that's awesome like it, and it yeah. unsavory can be so many different it can mean so many different things so, so how how did you come up with the term sparks for the dogs
1: sparks really just came about in that when when we're working with the dogs um when this really starts to work and you have that communication happening that you see this spark mm-hmm. kind of just lights in the dog but then the, that sparks in the dogs and that that's kind of what lights our way and, and gives us the, the enthusiasm and the the drive to keep doing this is that, you know, these dogs are the spark of life for us.
0: And it may be romantic, but it makes total sense to me um, because as a, as a dog person myself, when a dog is working on a problem and they finally get it, there's a spark. Or if I'm, oh, yeah. if I'm connecting with the dog on a, on a, like you said, it transcends words, but there's there's that moment when you're working with a dog on something specific and you get it, or the dog gets it, or you finally understand what the dog is trying to tell you, there's a spark. So I think it's completely appropriate that your dogs are called sparks because they do light and ignite the work that you guys do. And without them, you wouldn't be able to do the work that you're doing. What exactly is the work that you do? I know that you had had explained that you go out and you hunt for scat, but the, the dogs are so important in the work that you do. And the conservation work that you do, can you can you explain to the listeners exactly what it is that you that you are doing when you're out in the field?
1: The the important thing here to understand, I think, from the beginning is an, an odor is an odor, mm-hmm. and for the dogs, um, you know, we 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 generally start off teaching them. Uh, a lot of times we'll use Wolverine scat. And we teach them Wolverines scat. After, after they've learned the game and that I uh, show you this odor and, and you get to play fetch, we play fetch together, that's their reward, um, they understand the game. So then any odor we put out, um, they'll make that connection of, okay, this is a new thing I can find to get my ball. Um, so that, that odor could be a scat from another a- animal. Um, it could be a virus, like we're doing some virus work mm-hmm. with um, cherries and grapes right now. Uh, it could be uh, it could be a cell phone. It could be um, different plants, so invasive or rare plants. It could be eggs from a certain uh, bird or something, so a nest. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, anything. It could be um, it could be oil. If you're looking for oil leaks, it could be a certain rock. Like you could teach them to to find certain types of rock that may have a, a certain odor coming from it. Um, anything anything that you're interested in that has an organic compound and an odor coming off of it they're they're going to learn that from you know these sessions of showing it to them so when when you know you see you'll see like uh the news or scientific papers like the first dog trained to find this odor or do this or that um it's really the same thing as we're all doing it's just it's just a different odor um so it's not it's not really that different. So what what we do is we teach the dogs to find these odors and and um, a dog can can find as many odors as you want. Um, you can teach them as many different, you know, we have dogs that are trained on over 30 different odors and, and that could be a mixture of scats and and eggs and nests and PCBs and, and viruses and all sorts of stuff. Every, every, they, they, they're not limited to doing one thing. Right. Um, so we we are generally contracted by various groups to help with um, different studies. So that may be, you know, clearing cl- clearing some land of invasive plants. It may be, okay, we need to determine how many of a certain animal or in this area to kind of get a population estimation. Uh, right. Or maybe there's a really rare species out here. Can you help us find where they might be in the landscape so we can set up camera traps or, or do something to learn a bit more about them? So there's, there's all sorts of different uses that uh, the dogs can help us with.
0: How long does it normally take to train the dogs?
1: Well, um, <laughs> we're... we're I, I never know exactly how to use this. So, you know, you mentioned Cauldron or, or Taro, who we have now. Mm-hmm. He's already learned to to find uh, uh, bird carcasses for us. Okay. And, and that was literally about 15 minutes. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, it was kind of a trick question because I understand being the dog person that I am, I understand the process that you guys use in order to train the dogs. And some of the dogs pick it up you know, lickety split. And they're like, okay, I get this. And some of the dogs, it takes a little bit longer just because of their background and where they've come from. And they don't exactly understand what it is that you want them to do, but all of them, once they have it figured out, it's so much easier to move from the first thing that you've worked out to the next thing that you're trying to work out to the next thing. So you said that one of your dogs knows up to 30 cents and that's, that's Scooby, right?
1: That is. Yes. Very good.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Pay attention, Heath. <laughs> so <laughs> Scooby, you figured out you 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 trained him on one particular scent. So is it is it easier to tell him, okay, let's go look for this scent today instead of this scent? So uh, I guess I'm looking for the word flexible. How, he's very flexible in the work that he can do because he knows so many scents. Is this something that you had to teach him, or is it something that he just figured out naturally that this is the scent we're looking for today. OK, this equals ball.
1: That's a good question. It, it's, um, it's a little more complicated. The, the dogs can definitely learn um, based on where we're working, what odors we're looking for. Okay. But if we, let's say Scooby's trained on on moose, and we're going to a wolf study, and there's moose there as well. Right. He's going to show us moose to begin ah. with. And, and we, we then have the option to either continually reward him for moose. And you know we don't have to collect it if the biologist isn't interested. And he would still find us all the wolf as well. Okay. Or we can tell him, you know, we're not we're not looking for that today. Good job. Mm-hmm. Let's let's keep going. And Got he'll it. be like, okay. And he'll show us another moose in a little bit, and we'll be like, oh, great job, but we're not looking for that. And he eventually learns, like, okay, you're not giving me my ball. <laughs> Something's going on. And he'll find a wolf scat, and he'll you know get the ball, and and uh, we get to play. And then he's like, okay, yeah. And then he'll maybe he'll find another moose and we'll say, good job, we're not looking for that today. And, and then he'll just he'll start eventually, very quickly actually, to, mm-hmm. to not hit on moose anymore. Generally though, we don't we actually don't do that. Um, what we would do is probably rewarding for moose because what happens is I always try to help people by saying, you know, kind of think of these dogs as two to three year olds, and that you really want to keep them excited about being out there working. And so the the more you can reward them for the longer they're going to want to stay out there mm-hmm. and the harder they're going to work right so rewarding scooby for you know 10 10 moose scats for every wolf scat is actually a great thing because that that just increases his drive to find more and more scats which ends up being more and more a wolf as well right so do you know we generally don't pull the dogs off of any odors we've we've taught them right um so if we happen to go somewhere where all 30 odors that scooby's learned it's over 30 actually i don't i don't remember the exact number but if we were somewhere where all those odors are he would find each of those odors and then we would just have to determine do do we want to reward him for all 30 right and it, it's probably fine honestly that's probably what we would do
0: any excuse to throw the ball with the dog is good for me yep so
1: <laughs> yeah i was working with captain in uh in turkey in uh the the study was focused on brown bears there, but we were also collecting uh, wolf, lynx, two species of marten, a badger, uh, uh, boar, a couple of maybe a wildcat and something else. Uh, there was nine species, and and during a single day, Captain would find over two hundred samples. And so you know you give the dog the ball for each one of those, uh-huh. and if. In in normal cases, you would generally throw the ball or or uh, you know play fetch a couple times. So there are two or three throws times two hundred. You're quickly yep. getting up to a lot of throws a day. There were so many scats. All I had to do was captain to find a, a scat, he'd sit. I'd toss the ball right to him right there. He'd catch it. He'd give me the ball back, and we'd go find the next one. So nice. we would even though we were finding two hundred samples a day, we were still covering. He would cover over forty kilometers during that time.
0: Wow. In, a,
1: in a day. So we were yeah we were covering a huge amount of area and and recording information on tons of species him having getting super worn out playing fetch or anything right so for the dogs the the real the the real excitement for them is catching that ball not not so much you know chasing it or or mm-hmm. playing ball for five minutes mm-hmm. or playing fetch for five minutes but just really getting that reward and that's yeah. i mean they love it yeah just want to keep going
0: i mean 200 scats and 200 throws of the ball, you're talking bursitis in your elbow, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. problems with your wrist. That's a lot of activity just for your arm, just to throw that ball 200 times. Yeah. So it's amazing that dogs figure out they they just want the ball in their mouth. And this is how I'm going to get it. I can't put into words my fascination watching these dogs do this work or any kind of work, actually, just for the reward that you've given them, the the drive that they have to do the work. Like, where does that come from? What is it? this is my experience. This is my journey trying to figure all of this out. And every time I figure out a little bit of it, it, it leads to a bigger question. So this journey with, with working dogs is never going to end for me. I'm always going to have questions about drives them to do the work that they do.
1: The dogs that we've adopted, um, they literally play fetch until the day they they move on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, it's insane to see <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that it. I mean, they, they love it more than anything. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, and, and it makes it, it makes it so easy for us to communicate with them because yes. when we, when we have the ball out, they're like, oh, whatever, just, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the ball.
0: Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that, that tennis ball, that, that tool that you use to communicate with has actually saved the lives of how many dogs that you have for rogue detection teams. Yeah. Oh
1: well we we have uh, I think we've got 16 in the program right now Wow I'm um, 17 maybe with tarot but um, yeah over the years there's been quite a few dogs we've we've rescued and or, right. or worked with rescue I hate to say we've rescued them because a lot of the, the dogs we adopt also come from rescues and um, and shelters and those folks they, they work really hard to I mean there's so many unwanted dogs out there unwanted dogs and cats yeah. and pets of all sorts but we we help in a small way and uh and find the the ones that can't just go to a home and, mm-hmm. and find a job for them um, yeah they're, they're very special
0: so you have a dog
1: personality
0: on, in your team right now I do. <laughs> that has been in six different homes i believe before he found his way to you oh, yeah. and yeah. my understanding is that the his last family still keeps in contact with you and figures out to, to see what he's doing and, and um, the work that he's doing. So can you tell me a little bit about that dog?
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're talking about Pips. Yep. Is that, is that right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. to
1: make sure. Cause uh, a number, a number of our dogs have been adopted in return and adopted in return. But yeah, yeah. Pips, um, Pips is pretty special. Um, he's like this little bear. Mm-hmm. and uh, he actually came from a rescue in Arizona, United Animal Friends, and um, they're a rescue, so he, there was no, he wasn't going to be euthanized or, or anything. Um, he was, he was, he's just hard for folks to take care of, Yeah. and he, they had rescued him from a shelter where he had been adopted out and returned, and and I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I think he was probably on the short list, and and, you know, they came in and rescued him and they're like, oh, we'll find him a home. And so they had a, a, him adopted out and returned three times. And they're like, we don't we don't know what to do. Yeah. And they had reached out to the community and, and somebody was like, oh, it's a cattle dog heathel taking. Uh, <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, they contacted me and uh, they were they were amazing. They flew up with him and um, from Arizona because we didn't we didn't have funds to, you know, any way to get him to where we were at in Washington, and uh, I flew up with him, and he was he was incredible. He still is. He's yeah. he's actually right next to me right now. Yeah, it, but he is um, he's a perfect example of of the type of dog that we adopt because if if you leave him, he 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 has a ton of energy and he has mm-hmm. to have a job. Mm-hmm. But if you leave him alone and he gets uh, you know, he'll chew up blankets and pillows and. You know, he has to ha- always have a ball to chew on like yeah. if he has a ball he's generally okay but but he's he's super smart um, yep. we, were, we just uh, we were just working this morning before this podcast and uh, uh, he's he's fantastic uh, he's 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 like a part of me I'm yeah. a part of him maybe. yeah <laughs> I don't know if I pass the ball off to somebody else uh, he, he would probably go with them but
0: it's possible but I've met Pips and he's definitely he loves his work and he loves his boundaries. Oh. He, I mean, he's just the perfect he example does. of what a rogue detection dog can do. And a perfect example of a dog that doesn't belong. Well, it's not comfortable in a home. He has to have a job because they, they have that drive to do the work that they're doing. And I think it's just amazing that you gave him the outlet to do something, to do a job. And he just does it so well. He just, He just takes to it, and he just does it, and he's just happy.
1: I mean, when when these dogs when these dogs come to us, they uh you know they they some of them may have been in the shelter for months or even a year or more. Some of them come from homes. You know, we we have owner surrenders where they you know they've tried behaviorists and and dog trainers and and different medications to help. But when they when they show up, sometimes you know they some of them may not not owner surrenders but some of the ones from shelters not that a shelter would abuse them but you you can see these dogs have are kind of down and, yeah. um and who knows you know we don't adopt puppies so we don't know their their prior history but like gator for example um he he would anytime he saw an older man he would just lose it like so i i mean i think there was definitely something in his history from that mm-hmm. or if somebody stuck there like put their foot out to stop him from going somewhere he would just tear into their, their wow. boat like, like they were going to kick him or something but yeah um so we don't know their histories but what happens is they show up and and I, we're already seeing this with with cauldron too um or, or tarot they 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 just the, once they understand what their job is and and what they're doing they they're they positioning and how they walk and and stand changes and they, they get this confidence and and yeah, they I mean there's nothing Pips would rather do than than work. Maybe chew on the ball, but yeah. Um, <laughs> he loves it. It's That's just it's just a
0: magical process to watch the dogs gain the confidence as they begin the work. Because I know they come into your program um without confidence. A lot of them don't have the confidence because they the the communication hasn't been there between the dog and the human. So they didn't They didn't know how to communicate with the human. The human didn't know how to read them. So they come into your program and it doesn't take them long to figure out that you will listen, that you will get what it is that he's trying to say and vice versa. And then this partnership begins to grow and a bond begins to form and the confidence begins to build. And then all of a sudden you've got this dog who does this magical thing that he was meant to be doing. It's just, it's magic.
1: It it totally is. And I love... Um, you know, reading your your book that just came out, uh, I love reading that because you really understand things, and and it's hard for most people to understand this. And I mean, yeah. and and you know, you asked how long does it take to to teach a dog, and and literally, it's it's pretty much fifteen minutes, and mm-hmm. uh, because because there is that communication already happening, and and they're they're understanding a lot of what I'm saying already, you know, without right. speaking, right? So I say. but but teaching teaching folks that (laughs) that join the program is um it's so much it's so different and you know taking taking a new dog like taro and putting them with a new person is a lot harder because there's not that communication then going on so do you find it easier
0: when you bring a new bounder in to pair them with a dog who's already seasoned
1: oh that's a good question too um, you know, I could pair Pips up with somebody and they would probably, they, he, he would probably be, he would go crazy. It's really hard for him. And and we see this when we, we start new classes, um, the dogs all start to kind of shut down because they're so confused, like, yeah. why doesn't this person understand what I'm saying? So generally what will happen with a new person, whether it's a green dog or an older dog, there's, there's going to be a struggle until the person really starts to... To grasp what's going right. on. Uh, whereas if if you take a an experienced person, you can put them with an experienced dog or a green dog, and you don't really have that. Right. That um, they they both understand pretty quickly. Like, okay, this is this is what's going to happen. So, our uh, the goal of our program is is really when we bring somebody in, that they can work with any any dog that. That they come across, you know, that's fetch obsessed, that, that wants to do this kind of work, obviously. Right. But that means like if we're if we're going over to France, we don't necessarily have to transport one of our dogs over there. We could go to a shelter and find a new dog that's gonna do the work in France. And right. um, the, the only downside of that is we don't want to just put that dog back into a shelter right. or you know, just leave in France. So our our main goal um, is having a, a small team that works here. Um, as as bounders for rogues, but then to help people in other places develop their own programs and and really try to to stress, you know, we're not just going to do a two week class. Yeah. We're going to do a, a, a two year class.
0: And the, the hardest part about all of this is teaching new people. As a dog trainer in my career, I have dealt with um, dogs similar to the dogs that you're working with. Um, you know, high ball drive, high energy, and the hardest part of being a trainer is training people. What advice would you have for humans who might be interested in pursuing a career working with dogs, not just rogues, but any dog?
1: I would generally tell people if you're if you're really interested, go to a shelter, um, volunteer, and say, "Hey, I'd like to work with some of your the dogs you're really having a hard time with." You know, uh, yeah. obviously, be safe about it. Don't don't walk into a, into a, a super aggressive situation. Um, without any any knowledge of what you're going to do but right. uh, find the dogs that that have maybe a lot of drive and need to get out and um see if you can take them for a run or or a walk whatever the shelter allows i'm not sure you know i don't don't just take their dog and, and right. the dog. <laughs> but, but work with them um, and yeah start working on communication think about yeah. um you know what what not just what you're you know vocally saying through your speech but how how you're holding your body and and how the dog reacts to certain things right and then start to really listen and you said this earlier i really i really like that but you you use the word listen as well listen to the dog and and you know see what they're saying back to you and that's i mean that's that's probably why i still do this is because the dogs have so much to say yes and seeing them like like today um we're, we're doing some bird and bat uh carcass work around wind facilities and there's these big transformers and pips had picked up an odor and there was there was something dead on top of the transformer so this is like i don't know 10 or 12 feet up and he's he's trying to tell me you know oh there's there's something up here he there's something up here and and uh you know so then i had to figure out okay how do i get up there to see what it is and uh, but yeah it's i mean it's just so cool to see them you know, looking at us and and I mean, it's almost like they want to speak. and <laughs> right? I think I wish they could. It'd probably just be ball, ball, ball. But, uh, but yeah, they're a joy to to, to yes. listen to. Yes,
0: and I think the most important part that I have learned throughout my 150 years of working with dogs is to cue into dog body language. Is to re- really learn how to read a dog, um, any dog that you're working with, and that just takes time and experience. But as a young person. advice that i would have loved to have gotten as a young person looking for a career in with dogs is dog body language and and learning how to listen to what a dog has to say because all dogs talk but not everybody listens
1: yeah and you know you brought up a really a really great point there um it it is definitely listening and, and it's tough because you know people can do this for a long like i i see dog trainers and stuff that have certain methods they use and and it's like they've never actually stopped to listen to the dog. Like the dog's gonna do what I I want it to do. And and you know, maybe that's maybe they're using shot collars, maybe they're using a clicker, but they they're gonna make the dog do a certain thing. Right. Rather than listening to the dog and seeing, you know, communicating with the dog and, and figuring out a way to kind of get to that end goal together. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's the part of this I love.
0: And we're you know, at the point doing in- this together. In our, in our society now where people are beginning to understand that there isn't just one right way to train a dog. Barbara Woodhouse, I think that's her name, wrote a book in the 60s that there are no bad dogs, that it's always, it's always about the human. Is, the fault is usually with the human. And then through the years we've gotten, um, I'm not going to name names, but we have gotten um, celebrity dog trainers who have indoctrinated, you know, society with this is the only way to train a dog. This is, you have to be the alpha. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I've, I've disagreed with this my entire life. And it's always, I've always known since I was a little kid that every dog is different and training dogs is dependent on the personality of the dog that you're working with. There are methods that may work for this dog, but they won't work for this dog. And it's super important for people to understand that it really depends on the dog that you're working with and they will tell you what works and what doesn't
1: i i do think though i mean um we we almost called ourselves bad dogs <laughs> <laughs> and because you, you know we we really wanted to work with that stigma and you know yeah. all the all of our friends and stuff are like oh that's a horrible marketing <laughs> idea but it, i mean it, it is. i mean these dogs that we adopt they are the bad dogs like right. that's you know they're out of chances and right. and they're on rehabilitation you can't rehabilitate these guys they're just going to constantly destroy and fight and whatever right um
0: but they're out of and, chances and through it, uh human's feelings it's it's not yeah, their- oh yeah yeah, yeah it's sure. not their fault
1: it's people trying to put them into a, a a certain category and you know oh you need to be my pet and yeah you know be perfect in the house or apartment and uh but we we love the bad dogs and it, yeah. and it and we're okay calling them bad dogs because we think they're awesome <laughs> yes
0: I think they're awesome too how do you or your bounders and the dogs decompress after a tough day out in the field
1: uh, how do we decompress mm-hmm. well I, I wish I got to decompress more <laughs> <laughs> i um, i I've developed this uh this hobby uh, when I was younger like you know way younger I was into dungeons and dragons and and, and painting little Figure like figurine things Mm -hmm. and uh so I've tried to get back into that like there's this whole research I think even more now with the pandemic but of board games so uh I've really gotten hooked on on buying board games and uh, um unfortunately I don't get to play them as much as I buy them so I've got (laughs) I've got a lot of games but uh I I love thinking about playing them uh so that's that's and I and I I mean I I love to read and then obviously our jobs are hiking, but you, you'd be shocked at how much on a day off or, or during vacation, if we take vacations, we actually go hiking still. And then, uh, the dogs, oh, how do they decompress? You know, they're generally they're, they're pretty worn out after after working. Like, it's hard to chase a ball. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, and you know when uh, we we had when we had. Um, particular vets they were always amazed at their heart rates and how what kind of shape they're in you know uh-huh. like these ultra athletes so they're they're happy to just take a moment and uh you know that they, they always have a ball with them but yeah. they're always happy to just kind of rest and relax for a bit
0: so my last question is specifically for you what would you be doing if you weren't a working dog partner
1: oh wow
0: i know it's a hard question
1: i have no idea. yeah um Maybe I would design a board game there you go <laughs> I've actually i mean i you know you're out in the woods all day long and, and it's you and the dog and and you, you know you 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 do think about work a lot and the wind and everything that's happening, but your mind wanders too, and so um yeah I, I, maybe that i don't know I have I know. no idea honestly what I would do. I can't imagine doing anything besides yep. this honestly yeah. or if I did do something else i wouldn't I wouldn't be as happy as I am doing yeah. this.
0: well we're very happy that you found your niche and your calling and that you are working with these dogs and doing the work that you're doing it's a it's amazing to watch you guys on instagram and twitter and on facebook and i don't get to visit you guys enough yeah covid was really hard because there we had plans to work together and that kind of covid just said no this isn't going to happen and i really miss your dogs um how can how can we the listeners support you and the work that you do
1: Oh, that's a great question um, you know we, you. we have a website roguedogs.org. And, and we do we have social media for Facebook Twitter and Instagram and, and Jennifer Hartman runs those and uh, I mean she she does an incredible job on those, she uh, does it's and then they can um, they can email us at contact at roguedogs.org and okay. uh, with any questions or anything and we'd be happy what to about
0: your uh, Amazon wish list
1: Oh yeah um that's out there i don't know anything about how to <laughs> i don't know how to tell people to get to it though
0: i know how to tell people how to get uh, to it i just need to know if it's upstated okay
1: i think it is okay uh, Susie Susie marlow actually handles a lot of that and uh, yeah that's been a, a great resource it's something you know we're, we're still getting on our feet as rogues since we've only we've only existed for about a year and a half now right and so Figuring out all of the all those different things that we can do now to to interact with with folks is is where we're headed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're working on an education program. Yep, and I knew it's, that. Uh, it's coming along fantastically. Really super stuff. And uh, we hope to start doing some some community science type projects, and and also have some courses for folks to come in and learn from. I mean. You know, not only were we just starting, but a pandemic hit yeah. virtually right after. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it threw things out of whack just a little bit, but, uh, you know, we're getting back on track and, and having a lot of fun.
0: Well, thank you, Heath, so much for spending time with me today and talking to me about the Rogue Detection Teams and all of the dogs. We are so excited to get to know you even better. Um, we have plans in the works, but I cannot tell you what they are right now. So for now, we'll just say goodbye to Heath and and thank you, Heath, very much for spending time with us today.
1: Oh, thank you, Holly. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the Working Dog Collective podcast. I've been your host, Holly, of Holly Cook Photography, based in Seattle, Washington. This is a listener-supported podcast, and details about how you can support this podcast for as little as $5 a month are provided in the show notes. Thank you for joining me on this journey of exploration into the world of working dogs. Let's get to work.